The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Uh, I, I always thought I was an introvert, and I would tell people that I was, and they'd be like, no, how can you be an introvert? You know, you're a broadcaster, but they associate, most people associate introversion with being shy or socially awkward, which I was as a kid. I'm not anymore, but but I'm not an extrovert. John will tell you this because I find social situations more draining than not. And so what I just discovered is I, I'm an ambivert. An ambivert? I don't even know what an ambivert is. What, what is an ambivert? It's what I think we are. It's an extroverted introvert. I need a lot ah. of alone time, but I do enjoy other people, but only under certain circumstances. I'm selectively social. So that's what that is. Well, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert and an extrovert. And well, well, all maybe, the verts are fine. All the ver- Well, yeah, except maybe pervert. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then, you know, who are, who are we to judge? Who are we? Who are we to judge? <laughs> <laughs> Our guest this week might be able to shed some light on how we draw uh, energy or uh, inject energy into situations. Colin Mockery is one of the greatest improvisers to never pick up a script. Uh, you know him from Whose Line is in Anyway, both the UK and American versions of the uh, hit improv show. Go on, what else has he done? Well, he has a very long history. I don't know how far back we want to go, uh, but he was at Second City, uh, which is, I don't know, means a lot to me. But he he was there a couple of years after I left Toronto. But you've probably seen him in countless commercials, television shows. He's constantly working. He is, without a doubt, one of the busiest performers in this country. He's currently on tour with Brad Sherwood, uh, another improv genius in the show called Scared Scriptless. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> We're, yeah, I get, I get it. <laughs> that one actually did not go over my head. Oh, we're so glad to welcome Colin uh, to the show. What kind of vert are you, Colin? Pervert, <laughs> no. <laughs> it is so odd that this is the second time in like three days I've heard the term ambivert. Um, really? Huh. Yes, I was talking uh, about it with some friends, so I think that's what I am. I'm, I don't really enjoy uh, being with people. Uh, my wife, is uh, Deb, is more the extrovert. I tend to be. She actually calls the guy on whose line the other because it's nothing like me in real life. Huh. Yeah, I used to have a work husband and then the real husband, and I kind of occasionally got them confused. But so, so she's the extrovert. So at home, like you're both like improv geniuses. So like, do you both go off in quiet corners or do you like, is it a laugh-a-thon at home or? We have, uh, we have a lot of laughs. We really do enjoy each other, but we also, when, you know, the dark times happened recently, where it was the longest I'd been home in 20 years. So there were some concerns about how that would work out. And uh, Deb said, okay, here's the thing. We got to, uh, you know, the house is big enough that we can each go to a corner and do what we have to do. <laughs> and that worked out for us. We would, when we got together, it was great, but we also gave each other space to be alone and do what we had to do. I think space, the space that you had during the pandemic was crucial. And I felt for people who were in a small my son and his fiance at the time were in a small apartment with nowhere to go, uh, except here. They were in our, remember the bubbles? Remember we had bubbles? But oh. my husband will tell you that I had a good pandemic because I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have, I had an <laughs> excuse and I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, not the scary part, not the, you know, is everyone going to yeah. die part, but the, the lack of pressure. But as a funny person, as a person who was funny, 
Do people expect you to be different? Like you said, like as Deb says, the guy on stage and and Colin are not necessarily the same people. Yeah, there's there is an expectation. When we first move onto the street, people thought I was just I guess a dick because I was, I, you know, I, I wouldn't ignore people. I'd say hello and stuff, but I, I would never engage in conversation because I, and so Deb had to explain, no, he's lovely. He's just, he's very shy. He doesn't, you know, feel comfortable talking to people. And now everyone sort of accepts it. And also, I mean, throughout the years, because of the success of Who's Line and the touring, I've had to find a way to become more fake and, and talk to people and enjoy it. And I actually, I, I, I do enjoy it more than I ever have. And I think it, it really can be a muscle that you can exercise and sort of get past the initial awkwardness of it. I watched you for so many years. I mean, it was such a, a family thing to watch you on Whose Line Is It Anyway? It was just, to me, it's just the most brilliant show that's ever existed. And I haven't seen your new ones yet. Um, I'm gonna. But you tweeted something about how it was so great to be with Ryan Stiles, who's been your buddy since probably longer than your wife, and and how great it was to do that show, but also that you never got residuals, um, which is like a huge issue now with the strike happening in Hollywood and blah, 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 blah. So you're not doing it anymore, but I, like, can you actually, uh, like, how big a deal, uh, you said you didn't want to sound bitter, but it is kind of bitter. I mean, you why didn't you get the residuals? Are you bitter, Colin? I am. Um, I have a bitter compartment. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's very difficult for me. It really is an odd thing because any success I've ever had is all due to Who's Line. I mean, it gave us all careers, put us out uh, into the national spotlight. And from that, we got to do other things. But also there was that thing of, yeah, someone's making money from this and it's not the performers and we are providing all the content. I mean, we're not writers in the sense of, you know, we're sitting down typing out things, but we are writing as we go along. But there was never any category for that in which we could get paid. So it was always a little disconcerting when you see, oh, whose line sold to this streaming service or sold overseas and blah, blah, blah. And you go, okay, we're we're not getting a part of that. So I try not to be bitter because it doesn't really help and it's not going to go anywhere. So um, in my mind, you know, I, I do kill certain people every day. But I don't <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> and I, it actually makes me feel better. I didn't even realize, but of course, improv does not fall in, into any category. And yeah, you want, well, you're writing it as you go along, but it, that's, that doesn't fall into the, the, like, the union. Yeah. And I don't know if that'll ever, ever happen. I mean, my first who's line, my daughter was two months old. She just turned 33. So it's been going on for a while. And you would have figured it by this point, they would have found out some way to sort of um, uh, give us money. But again, I can't complain because it's given me a career. You know, I'm touring all the time. I'm, I'm, I've gotten a lot of work because of who's line. So, so there. <laughs> So there, let's uh, let's go back to partnerships. So yes, you've been you know joined at the hip with Ryan for so long with Ryan Styles, and now you're with Brad Sherwood, who was uh, sounds like you're dating. <laughs> now you're with Brad. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because Wendy and I. This is the first time I've always worked with people, usually men, on radio. Wendy's never had a partner before. Does it help if you're more similar, or does it help if you're very different? I don't think there's a difference. I'm trying to think. I mean, Ryan and I are very similar 
in many ways. And that worked out. Brad and I are a little more different. He's very verbal. He's very smart. Not that Ryan isn't smart, but I guess he isn't. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, he's a pervert too. Uh, Brad is very, yeah, very quick verbally. He brings a whole different skill set to our show. With Ryan and I, there's, um, I guess, because it's almost like a twin situation where I pretty much know all the time where he's going to go in a scene. And even if I don't, I know enough just to follow along and see what happens. So I, I think you can work either way. And with both of them, pretty much from the first time we worked together, it it worked. There was, there's been only one time, Patrick McKenna from the Red Green Show and many other wonderful shows, he and I were at Second City together. And he's one of my best friends. And we just could not work together for the first a couple of months we were on stage, we realized it was because we were being too polite. We were each kind of sitting back and letting the other person take. And then once we realized, no, we have to be selfish and attack the scene, that's when we really started to click and, and started having a more of a give and take. And But sometimes it takes a little while to find that chemistry. That's interesting that you were being too polite. So you're you- – Shut up, Wendy. <laughs> no, no, you shut up. Oh, you've got it down. Okay, perfect. Okay, is that better? <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> That's our whole podcast. No, you shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it is very strange having to work with a partner, especially a partner with a brain like this person over there, also named Maureen. But I'm I'm curious because we ran into you uh, recently at the celebration of life or whatever you want to call it for Gordon Pinsent. And, and, and you were there and you, you said that you're doing this new thing. Well, actually it wasn't that new at that point called Hiprov. So it's, you said, yeah, I'm doing like improv with hypnosis. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. So like, I tried hypnosis. I wanted to try and quit smoking and everyone's like, oh, that's terrible. And I knew because it was my third time trying and it wasn't for me. So hypnosis to me is not serious. But then the more I read about you and Hiprov, it all kind of makes sense. And it sounds like some people really uh, can benefit from or at least get a few chuckles out of being hypnosed. Is that the right word? Yeah. Tell me more. I don't. I don't know as much about this. Is what is so? What, what is it? Here's what happens. Um, I'm with a hypn- hypnotist, Asad Meki. He gets twenty volunteers, gets it down to the best four or five, and then they and I do an improv set. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the Great Ravine. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's very odd because, of, you know, a lot of people are skeptical, not only of hypnotism, but improv, too. So we put these two skeptical art forms together so people can just stay in one spot and be skeptical. But I learned, I've learned throughout uh, doing the show, I had a lot of misconceptions uh, about uh, hypnosis. When we have the, f- the final four, it looks like they're sleeping, but they're aware the entire time. I'll do a scene with someone and they'll reference a scene that happened three scenes before that they weren't in. And it looked like they were sleeping. For hypnotic shows like this, about 20% of the population can be hypnotized. The percentage is higher for clinical hypnosis, like quitting smoking or getting over flying. It's really been interesting doing it, working with people who I do not know in a hypnotic state, and they're just reacting to everything Assad and I say. 
And it's been uh, great. We're trying to show that everyone basically can improvise, which, as I think about it, is a bad career choice for me, just to show how easy <laughs> this is. <laughs> so do you not look like when he's hypnotizing people, do you uh, make sure that you're not? To, to Wendy's point, have you been hypnotized? Uh, yes, he hypnotized me. And? And it was uh, it was good. Here's the thing. I constantly think I should write more. And I hate writing. i lazy. That's why I improvise. I said, so I want you to hypnotize me to make me write something or to find it within me to find the discipline to do that. So he did. And I ended up writing something. So for me, it worked. Of course, now I'm not going to write ever again. <laughs> I'll have to go in again. But, but for that moment, it, it did help. And one night we had Every night we find a superstar, an improv superstar. And there was one night this young woman was amazing. And afterwards, I was talking to her about her experience. And she said, you know, I have crippling social anxiety. I still don't know why I went up there, but that was the best hour of my life. I've never felt so in control. I felt confident. And then she was going to start looking for improv classes and an improv troupe. So it kind of shows what happens when you get rid of that part of the brain that tells you, you can't do this, you're going to suck, you're not going to be funny. So is that what it is? Because I remember when I had my wisdom teeth pulled out and they gave me laughing gas. It was, I was, I was like, it's so hilarious. You could not believe how hilarious I was. You were, you were funny or you found everything funny because they're different. Oh, you were funny. No, I, I was just, yeah, I was very funny. Or, so Only maybe, I was stoned out of my mind with the laughing gas, but it was the, it was the best time I ever had. Did other people find you funny? Well, who knows? But I, I was just like killing myself. But but what is there? Is there something about sort of letting go? Because I mean, a lot of people take drugs or do whatever to like to to, to relax, to let their brain to say yes and I suppose, which is kind of like improv. What what is it? There's a uh, there's a doctor in uh, San Francisco, Doctor Charles Lim, who was doing a study on what happens to the brain when you improvised. So uh, Assad and I, we were doing a show in San Francisco. He contacted me and said, would you be willing to be a subject? So I improvised in an MRI for an hour and a half, which is as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> um, I did find out I'm not claustrophobic, so that was a positive. What he found out was what happens when you improvise, the part of the brain that deals with self-criticism, activity lowers, and the creative part of your brain gets more involved. And the same thing happens when you are hypnotized. The self-critical part of your brain activity goes away and you just become more creative. And people always say, how can you improvise? It's the hardest thing in the world. And it, it isn't. It just goes against everything we do as humans. You have to listen. You have to accept ideas. And you try to make your partner look good. And that's it. Those are basically the three rules. So it's been fascinating going through this, going through hip hop and seeing how people, once they're free, I mean, and let me get this, they, they do become great improvisers and that they just react immediately. They don't work towards the end of a scene. That's why I'm there because they'll just throw things at me constantly. It's like, okay, I, okay, we have to make sense of this now. But it's uh, actually, I think, helped me as an improviser because it's really helped me hone my listening skills more. And I've always been a really good listener. I've always loved part of my introvert self, I think. It's just I really do enjoy listening to people more than getting involved with them. Um, there's nothing better than going to a pub or something. 
That's what Maureen always says to me. Just, just listen. It's, it's yes. And just agree with everything. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't have to agree with everything. Um, but you do have to listen. What as interviewers, one of our worst faults, and I just don't mean Wendy and me, I mean, just anybody who does this is that you're always thinking of the next question. You're not necessarily listening to the answer of the question that you just posed. You're thinking, okay, when they stop talking, I have to have something to say. And that's, that's the end of, you know, that's the worst thing you can do. Cause you're, you're, I thought that was just at CBC. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's across the board. I, and I'm now linking improv and second city together. And I've, I've taken some of those corporate courses that they teach at uh, at Second City, where you bring in your whole team, fantastic team building, and and uh, teach you some improv uh, exercises. And it always amazes me that it's often the most timid person. Or like I, I worked at a radio station, and, and it was the accountant who was the, who killed that day. And it makes you realize that improv is something that everyone should learn to do or learn or, or learn to enjoy, not just performers. Oh, I, yeah. I always say, take a, a, even if you don't go into it, and I wouldn't recommend going into it as a profession, <laughs> uh, it's a great life skill to have. You learn to be more relaxed around people. If you're, uh, if you're in a job where you have to do presentations, it's a great skill to have. And with relationships, too, being able to listen and work together to get past the little obstacles we often uh, reach in life, it really is invaluable. The Women of Ill Repute. When being married to Deb, and Deb was a director at Second City. A very, you, you're both extremely funny people, but you're very different funny people, aren't you? Yes. I'll, I'll expound on that. <laughs> we are. Please. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so much a question, but go ahead. It's almost stereotypical gender uh, funny. I think I tend to be more one-liners, uh, and jokey. Her stuff is a lot of, ca- although she can also be uh, very funny with the one-liners, her strength, I think, is doing character comedy. She's very good at do- coming up with different characters. She's very good at coming up with a structure to a joke and a structure to a scene. She's a great writer. So I think our styles mesh. I mean, at home, she tends to be the funnier one. Uh, you know, I let her... Uh, get a couple of laughs and then I'll come in every once in a while. But she, she pretty much keeps the day going. I want to pass on just on that note. So my younger uh, child was at camp at Centauri and his counselor was your daughter. And he said that you and Deb came in and put on a show for the campers. This is at an arts camp called Centauri. That's no longer sadly. And he said, you absolutely killed. And I'm thinking, well, I should hope so. <laughs> yeah, really. it, it can really go either way. If bombed. <laughs> That would be horrific. And, you know, and our daughter's there. So we really have to pick it up a little. I, speaking about style, I just wonder, like, you, you've you done so many shows over so many years, and now you're doing this hip-hop thing, and it's in L.A., which, you know, a lot, la-di-da, you're in L.A. Um, but before that, you were in a bunch of Canadian cities. You perform a lot, uh, both with Brad and with the hip-hop thing in the States. And is there a difference? Because there's so, I, I'm, we're so glad you're in Canada. Uh, so many comedians have gone to the States. But is there is there a difference, I wonder? Like, do you... Like our people, I'm assuming the people that you hypnotize are the same, but are they different? Is the humor different? Like what's what's the difference or is there none? <laughs> there really is, there isn't. I mean, doing the show with Brad, 
we have to start off the show saying we're not doing any political things. We're not going to take any political uh, suggestions because the audience immediately splits in half. And our show is a political show. I believe anyway to do an improvised political show would be tough. I think you really have to have a strong point of view, and I think you have to have it written. Our stuff is just goofy, it's sort of universal, and it doesn't ruffle feathers. That's We're just there to have fun. With Hiprov, it's interesting because we don't know what's going to come out of people. And sometimes we we did this scene where I get two different animals, I combine them, and uh, we do a funeral for this animal. So it, I think it was like a half platypus, half zebra. And the mourners are there. And I said to one mourner, I, I know um, that now, of course, you, you mourn this pet. But when the pet first came to your home, you were not enthralled with it. Why? She said, it was an abomination of nature. I thought, okay, <laughs> that's something I don't want to keep going with because who knows? Yeah, no, no. I feel okay. So there are that one. There are times I feel I'm walking a little more on eggshells because I also don't want stuff to come out. This we sometimes switch improvisers, and there was one improviser, Jonathan uh, Mangum, who works with uh, Wayne Brady, and there was just this one person who just kept calling him a racist. <laughs> For no reason at all. And it was like, okay, oh, no. good luck with the comedy. Oh, no. <laughs> so are there standard questions that you ask? Like, what do you, I don't really get the whole process. So, so you, you hypnotize people, you figure out the people who are susceptible or whatever, or who are funny. And, and then what? Yeah. Assad is looking, as he's hypnotizing, he's looking for uh, changes in their breathing. Their face becomes a little more mask-like. He has like these 15, 20 things he's looking at, sort of like when a poker player is looking for tells in the other uh, uh, players. And then uh, we get it down to the best five, and then we play usually five different games. And we have right now, I guess, about 20 games we can play. So Ranging from one is a scene where one of them has to propose to me. We have that pet funeral one. We have one of our, this one's the, probably the most difficult, the most complicated. It's a 1940s film noir radio show. One person does all the sound effects. One person plays all the different characters I meet in the uh, solving of the, the murder. So, yeah, it's, and uh, I sing a, a duet with one of them, which is always scary. I heard you can't sing. I know. <laughs> That's the beauty. Because um, through, through this show, I've realized, well, these people are doing things. They come up here not knowing what to expect, and that's kind of brave of them. So why can't I do something that's even more terrifying? So, And it usually uh, it works out. The audience is quite forgiving. Yeah, we have, we have a, a, a large uh, a group of games we're playing. We're still finding games we can play with them because they can't do anything too – like. We couldn't say, okay, in this game, every letter that has an S, the S is going to be substituted by the letter F. Those kind of things don't work. They have to be simple, like you're in love with Colin, you want to marry him. That's it. It has to be a one-sentence thing. Yeah, It's a tightrope act, though, because in regular improv, you're, you're, as you said earlier, it's so much is based on trusting the other players. And in this case, it's a wild card. You don't really know what you're going to get. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fascinating because I find myself really invested in them. So there's times I'm going, oh, I don't have to do anything here. They've kind of got control. I'll just sit back. And then there's, t- okay, they're starting to flounder. Time to come in. So it's been yeah. very good for me. Watching you all these years, and I actually saw you, my same son who went to camp with your daughter, we saw you in London uh, do Who's Line, which was kind of a weird thing because we knew you from the American one. And then anyway. And, and of course, here we are in London. Let's go see a Canadian that we know in a show over there. But it was hilarious. Have you ever broken or have you ever floundered? I, ne- I mean, I saw you live as opposed to the show, which is edited. And we, we both came, both Ronan and I came away going, how on earth do they keep the plates in the air and never break that we can tell or never flounder? I mean, there's a, there's a, what, my question, I guess, if I have one, is there's a difference between doing televised improv and live improv. There's a difference in that the televised, everything is faster and shorter. You know, we do two to four minute scenes. So it's not like I'm going to take time setting up a character. It's all going to be goofy and wild. We have a little more leeway in the live shows. A lot of it is just blind belief that it's all going to work out. And, you know, I've incredibly lucky that I'm working with also great improvisers. So if I'm not feeling on top of it, then I kind of sit back and support them until I kind of get my bearings. So there's never, there's only been one time Brad Ryan and I did a show in, and it was before uh, the American who's line. It was somewhere in LA and the entire audience were other improvisers. We died so badly and it was one of those we had, I think we each had 15 minutes, but we kept thinking, no, we're going to get them and just kept going and digging deeper and deeper. And about half an hour, it was just horrible. We left the stage, we got into our cars and didn't talk to each other for two weeks because <laughs> it was so horrendous. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. So it does happen. It does happen. It does happen. Yeah. But it's so much like what you were talking about. If you'd been hypnotized and you just didn't give a damn that the room was full of like people that you actually cared about, you probably would have been fine. Probably would have done better. Yeah. And just because there does become that tension of like, now what do I do? Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And now it's, and certainly after, you know, 40 or 50 years, however long I've been doing this, it certainly is much more relaxed. And, and you also get to enjoy the times when you bomb. It becomes a story. And, you know, you bomb in a scene, you know, well, I've got the next one. We'll, we'll get out of it. It'll be fine. Well, even going back to Carson, Carson, Johnny Carson, whom now kids are like, who? I can't believe. He was funniest when he actually, when his jokes bombed, because he, he was so adept at, at sharing that that ruefulness with the, with the audience. So, yeah, there's a lesson to be learned from that as well. Someone that we talked to who also does uh, improv was saying that, because uh, I guess what you do is even braver when you're with Brad and you take suggestions from the audience. And one of the suggestions that they got, which was the worst, according to her, was Naomi. Uh, yeah. yeah, was homicide. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homicide. Like, <laughs> what do you do with that? that. Oh, I think God. it was genocide. It was genocide. <laughs> was it? it was genocide because, you know, you can find the humor in shooting again. <laughs> Uh, there's times for some reason we were doing off-broadway hip-hop and for the song that i do i would ask a woman in the front row what do you do for a living and then i'd sing a love song to her about her job i would say 
seven out of 10 times, I would get a teacher of special needs children. Oh, oh, which is lovely for them. Oh. And we would all <laughs> what do you applaud. Do and then I would go, you know what? You're just going to be a teacher for this particular <laughs> song. <laughs> um, there, yeah. 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 There's still some black holes that uh, you don't want to fall into. There are. There are certain things you just can't uh, <laughs> make fun of and you don't want to make fun of. Do you think there are more, Colin? Do you think there are more uh, um, holes to fall into now? I mean, Wendy and I talk a lot when we talk to funny people. It's like, is it harder now to be funny because we're so sensitive and or we're supposed to be so sensitive? Yeah, I think, I, you know, supposed to be is important because we get a lot of audience reactions where you go, okay, what was that about? Because I didn't say anything. You've just made up some sort of thing in your mind. We were doing a scene, Brad and I were doing a scene, and it was a spy scene. I said, okay, get in the submarine. And everyone went, oh. I was like, okay. <laughs> I know that was horrible with that the submarine disaster. That had nothing to do with the scene. You've just made it now about the scene, and everyone's thinking about it. I think back to, like, People I grew up with, like, you know, Jack Benny and Bob Hope and all these people who were funny with the limitations of they couldn't swear, they couldn't really do sexual material. So I don't think we're limited. I I think any limits we come up with in comedy are the ones we set on ourselves. I mean, I, I would never do cancer jokes or AIDS jokes or things like that, but I can find things to be funny about that people will still laugh at and it doesn't have to be edgy. I mean, I'm just there to be funny and I can work within those limitations. No problem. That's so interesting. I find uh, we got to wrap up in a, in a minute or two, but I find it really interesting because it's uh, just a really nice way of framing things that it's just different, you know, like there's new rules. There's always new rules, but yeah. I just want to say you can tell cancer jokes when you've had cancer. Which Wendy and I have, so you know I have. I have it was hilarious. I have, I have a whole yeah. tight ten. I'm not willing to go that far. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> did you hear the one about no? Anyway, um, so what are you? What are you doing now? You're you're still doing some of the hip rov, and you're doing some of the. We're doing hip rov in Vegas right now. So I, I I just got back from that. Brad and I are are doing some shows this month, I think, and then I go back and forth with hip rov. Buy tickets now. Buy tickets now. Yeah. I'm, uh, this was the year where I was supposed to uh, pull back. I was thinking, you know, after, during lockdown, I thought, oh, you know what? I could actually retire, I think. Not completely, but at least pull back. So I thought, yeah. So I talked to my agent and said, you know what? I want to pull back a little bit. So after March 2024, <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it. If you can't get Taylor Swift tickets, go and see Colin and Brad in uh, Scared Scriptless because it'll you'll be surprised. We're <laughs> yeah. very similar in many ways. <laughs> we do a lot of jokes about ex-girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the outfits. And the outfits. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and, uh, and see you around because we do. We do from time to time. Talking to you. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this, Colin. We, uh, we love you. We think you're funny. Even when you're not, you're funny. So. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for having me. Always lovely to see you too. I guess we're the only ones that think cancer is funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those things where people are, because if you haven't had it, 
and I didn't really think we were going to make this about cancer right now, but in terms of things that you can talk about, I mean, I actually, there were, I mean, the fake wearing the prosthetic bra and the wig and I told you that story once where I was wearing a long blonde wig with a prosthetic bra while I was going through treatment and, you know, get catcalled. And I'm thinking I should whip off this wig and lift up my shirt because if only you knew. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, tr- I tried to tell jokes like cancer jokes when I just recovered and was going through treatment and everything at a cancer fundraiser. And they were like, don't be funny. Don't be funny. I, I, but it, it's true. I mean, only people who've had cancer yeah. can sort of understand and, and, and make jokes about it. But you know what I found most? Well, a couple of things I found interesting. One was his sort of interpretation of comedy now that there were these these old stupid rules that, well, I think they're stupid anyway, that you couldn't swear and you couldn't talk about sex. Now you sort of can, um, but you can't talk about other things. So I found that really interesting. But the most interesting thing was, and you kept leaning into it, which was great, was about partnership, you know, mm-hmm. about, how yeah. we're, about how we're all different and how we try and find a way of being either an introvert or an extrovert at, at particular moments. And he's uh, an ambivert. <laughs> An ambivert. I like that word because I think it describes more people than 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 it doesn't. I guess you can't do improv by yourself. I guess it's that would be like comedy masturbation. <laughs> yeah, aren't I funny? Oh, I'm so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so funny. You, I mean, maybe you can with your audience, but you still have to interact with somebody. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think of an example and I can't. I mean, it's all team. Well, I think Robin Williams did. I think Robin Williams improvised a lot. Uh, he would go on tangents. Yeah, but he was also hilarious. He could just—it was just a series of one-liners that were uh, prompted by an amazing brain and and a few drugs at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let us not discount that. Uh, but I think the takeaway is that we can all you learn to use improvisation to our benefit, no matter what yes, you do. You're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. <laughs> Unless you're a dental hygienist. I don't think you can improv with your patient. But, anyway. but what about genocide, Maureen? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even. All right. See you later, okay? Bye. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.